Thank you. We thank you for your presence and all that you're doing. We invite you, Jesus, come. Rule and reign. Have your way. Have your way, Lord. Just give him permission this morning to talk to you. He wants to talk to you. He's got some stuff he wants to show. Holy Spirit, we just give you permission. Would you please talk to us? Remind us of what Jesus has said. Bring clarity. Bring conviction. Guide us. Lead us. Do everything that you do, Holy Spirit. We just invite you to illuminate our eyes and heart to your word that we would know your ways, God. We thank you for that, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, you said amen, so be it unto you. Let's go. Let's do this. You got a Bible, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. This is the story of Abraham. Now, Abraham, chosen by God to become the vessel that his promise would come into the world through. Abraham's 100 years old. His wife is 99. They're unable to have children. God says to him, you're going to have kids. God gives him a promise. You're going to have children. Takes them out under the stars. Look it up. Look up, Abraham. All those stars, you're going to have more descendants than that. We know with hindsight, because of what's written in the New Testament, we know through faith, we understand that the promised son that God gave to Abraham was not Isaac, but rather that it was Jesus to come. That the fulfillment of the promise is in Christ. But every step of the way and every generation has to steward that baton. We've talked about this before. We began talking about it last week. Of There are those who have gone before you. Generations gone before you are cheering you on. And it's up to you. you. You are called to carry that same baton. To walk it out. To fulfill the promises that God made. There's so much that he has planned, and it's amazing. It's so much fun. When I was reflecting this morning on just what I was going to talk about, I began to think, rehearse in my mind the journey that Jesus has brought me on. Y'all, my life has been filled with pain. I was reflecting on Nicole and I's journey as a married couple, our journey into parenting. We have incredible amounts of pain that we have walked through. Like horror story type pain. Loss, incredible grief, and yet something in my heart is filled with joy when I reflect on it. Not because of the junk that we went through, but because of the, what was produced on the other side. What he promised, what he was bringing us into, and every time it required the death of something else. I thought it would look one way, and then it looks completely different. And I would not go back to choosing what I thought it want, I wanted. Never. Not a single piece. And what it does is it creates thankfulness inside of me. I am so thankful, Jesus. So thankful. Your mercies are new every morning. Praise God. God, because I'm a mess. Anybody else thankful for Jesus? Oh. His kindness leads us. This is Genesis 22. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. 
God had given Isaac as a son, as a fulfillment of promise to Abraham, and there they are, they're walking up a mountain together. Isaac is most likely between the ages of 13 and 30. This is not a kid. It's not your five-year-old. you got to see this. He's beyond that age. He's, he's a young man. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, Father, here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Hmm. An astute young man carrying a bundle of wood and carrying fire, probably in like a pot or something, they got the coals. They know they're going to make a burnt offering. That's why they're going up on the mountain. Isaac goes, hey, where's the lamb? Abraham says, God will provide it. There are many in this room today that the Lord has asked something of you, and you go, that's impossible. I don't have provision for it. I can't do it. And I just want to remind you that if God has asked you to do something, then he will make the provision for it. And that the burden and the pressure and the frustration and whatever else curls up inside of you where you're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to accomplish this because I don't have the resources, and the pressure and responsibility that come on you by saying yes to God's calling, you need to be reminded that the Lord will provide for what he asked you to do. That means you got to let go of that gear of you trying to do it. We come under pressures and frustrations. I've talked to so many people recently that say that they're tired, they're weary, they don't think they can say yes to another thing. And I would say to you, my friends, if the Lord's asking you to do something, he'll give you the strength. He really will. Don't grow weary in doing good, the scripture says. Don't go weary. If God's asked you to do something, he'll provide for it. We get messed up because we think we have to provide for it. And here's the argument that's going on between dad and son. It's a young man carrying fire and wood. Where's the lamb, dad? I think he knows his father. So they walk on together. They came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar, and there he arranged the wood. And then he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I was 15 once. Anybody else 15 once? Let me tell you, if my father at age 15 would have bound me up, laid me on some wood, and lifted a knife over me, I would have jab, jab, uppercut, leg sweep, and choked that sucker out, okay? I'd have beat him to a pulp. What kind of trust? Now, my dad was sitting here first service. Now, he, my father, was like, a very, very strong man, and he used to tempt us. He'd say, give us $100 if we could take him down. He'd tell that to my brothers. He never once said that to me, by the way. Mm -hmm. Abraham stretched out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. Whoa. The promised child, and you're going to take a knife to it. Y'all, 
this is something that has to come in our hearts. You have, if God has asked you to do something, you're going to imagine what it's supposed to look like, and that's the thing you got to kill. That's the thing that's had to be laid on the altar, your version of it. Your version, your ideal, your goal, nothing against goal setting, smart goals, right? Strategic, measurable, attainable, realistic, time, smart, you know that, if you know that one, it's a little free lesson. I teach my kids how to do this. We take, I, I lead them in leadership classes. I help them to set goals, to achieve. I, I work through this with my children. But I also teach them that they have to become dependent on the presence of the Lord. They need to learn how to listen to his voice. It's one and the other, not one or the other. This book is filled with many, many stories of men and women of faith who do amazing things, but you don't see the other side of their lives. The other side of their lives was practical. They actually had to get a job. Moses was a shepherd for 40 years before. Not many stories about him on the backside of the mountain. Y'all, if you're waiting on your couch for God to do this thing, go get a job. Go get a job. Set some goals. Become somebody. And as the Holy Spirit speaks, follow his leading, step out, do it. But look at what happens here. Abraham's got the knife over him, and he's going to lay down. He's going to sacrifice the thing that he had been longing for. What does it look like? It looks like a child, and then generations coming after, and he's got to sacrifice it. That thing has to happen in your heart. If you're going to see the real thing come out, The Lord's got to test. He's got to sift. It happens every time. He happens every time. Abraham stretched out his hand with the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, don't stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. It says, Abraham, Abraham. Can I just, I just want a little clue on the scripture. Anytime you see a word repeated, it's not, he's not repeating it. He didn't go, Abraham, Abraham, hey. It's not what's happening there. That, all that denotes is a raising of the voice. It denotes an intensity. Abraham, hey. Abraham is taking action on how he envisioned it to take place. And mid-stroke, he's told to stop. How are you with stopping as you're trying to fulfill the vision you believe God gave you? God told you to do something, so you're like, I'm walking in obedience. And the Lord's like, stop! What do you do? You see it repeated. Jesus goes, verily, verily. He's not... Saying verily, verily. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Can I just tell you that it's an awesome chorus line, but that ain't what they're saying. They're not singing holy, holy, holy. It's not a repetitive chorus, okay? The creatures in heaven that are surrounding the throne are screaming, holy! And the thresholds of the very foundations of heaven are shaking under the intensity of their worship. Abraham! Don't strike down your son. I can see that you are willing. The Lord knows your heart. You cannot fool him. 
If he asks something of you, you cannot fool him. You can't trick God. Let's go on to something happier. Psalms 100. Here's the deal. Abraham lifts his knife and says he's going to strike. And then this thing happens. You've got to see it this morning because in that place then, it says that he looked to the side since he withheld your son. Abraham raised his eyes and he looked and behold him, there was a ram caught in the thicket. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up as a burnt offering in place of his son. The Lord will provide. That's why to this day he is called Jehovah Jireh. In the mount of the Lord, he will provide. You know, provision from the Lord, powerful. He will provide. Y'all need to know that he will provide. He will make provision. In fact, that's why we call on the name of the Lord. We call on the name Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh, you are my provider. But I, I got to tell you all, in order to call upon the name of the Lord, see, he is faithful and he will fulfill and continue to walk in and be sincere and consistent with his character. He's faithful. He will provide. It says in the mountain of the Lord, in his presence, the Lord will provide. But this is the deal. If you want the Lord's provision, then you got to come into alignment with this testimony. See, this testimony is I am going to slay what I thought it was going to look like. I need to let go. I need to die to my version of this. And in that place, the Lord provides. So you're going, man, Lord, I need my bills paid. Jesus, I'm calling out to you. Please help me fulfill. I need you to provide. My friends, then you need to also let go of what you think it's supposed to look like. We do this to ourselves we envision something and we set our goals and we go after it. And if the Lord's not in it, then we end up in trouble and we go, Lord, I thought you would provide. And he's like, hey, I'm over here. You ought to put a knife to that. In the mountain of the Lord, in his presence, he provides. In his presence, there's provision. There's a doorway there. There is a doorway there. This is Psalms 100, verses 4 and 5. It says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Next verse there. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. His faithfulness is to all generations. His faithfulness is to all generations. Every generation has access to what he's done before. Every generation can call upon the name of the Lord and make provision. Every generation. He's faithful. He is good. He will provide. In the mountain of the Lord, he will provide. Call upon the name of the Lord. He will provide. But you must also hold loosely what you are grasping. Go back to the first verse, please. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Woo! In an ancient city, a walled city, there would have been gates, literal gates, and one of these gates was the place that mar the marketplace took place. 
If you were going to go see the king, you wouldn't go up into his palace to go see him. He would come down to sit in the gate. This prevented enemies from coming into the city. This also kept strangers on the outside. Marketplace was at the gate. The gate is the place you would petition the king for change. The gate is the place that you would ask for things. The gate is where you would get your prayers answered. The Lord says to you, enter my gate. But do so with thanksgiving. This is a, it's a trick question. It's a trick question. <laughs> this is a trick question. He's like, come on, come closer. But you can only do so through thanksgiving. Do you know what thanksgiving does? It undoes fear. Thanks, see, fear is rooted in lack. It's what I don't have. It's what I need. It's what, it doesn't have any hope attached to it because I have no power over it. This is what fear does. So in fear of I don't have enough, I go to God and I'm like, God, please give me. But he says, no, 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 you must come to me in what? If you want to come to the king's gate, you have to do so in thanksgiving. And what thanksgiving does is it forces you to acknowledge what's in your account. To recognize what he did before, what he's already done. You're looking at the lack and he goes, stop. If you want to ask me for more, then you have to recognize what I've already done. Man, as soon as you start to do that, fear will dissolve. As soon as you start to recognize, listen, Jesus, thank you. See, when I, when I remember, when I bring into connected with my, my consciousness and I choose to think about my history in God and the places where I have pain and where I should not have had mercy and I see Jesus my redeemer, and I recognize and I go, thank you, Jesus. I recognize what he has done for me. Oh, my sorrow turns into joy. My account becomes full because I go, oh, you know what? In my history, we have lost eight children in pregnancies. But I have eight children. Which one would I give up? Which one would I exchange? The sorrow for the joy. Do you see? The Lord was in it. I don't know what you're going through, but I'm telling you that he has provision for you. But the only way to get there is by coming and recognizing what he already put in your account. What has he done for you? What's in your account? Thanksgiving allows you to become conscious of what he has given to you. And that's the only place you can steward from. You steward what you have. He can give you more if you're stewarding the little. You have to steward what's in your hand. So if you're asking for more, you're coming to his gate. The only way to enter. You can't come with debt. You have to come full. You can't come with debt to the king's presence. You have to come full, full of thanks. Thankfulness. Hello. You, you can't. Will he forgive 
your unbelief. Of course he will. He will have mercy. But his invitation is to remember. The invitation is to come back and to become full. Full of what? Full of thanks for what he has already done. Y'all, the key to unlocking what you're needing is by recognizing what he's already done. It's the only place you can come in. When you do that, when you come with thanks, hope, like you go, oh, this is what's in my account. This is what I have. This is what he's done. Suddenly, wisdom can speak. Suddenly, I can have hope for what I'm supposed to do after this. Now, it might require me letting go of some things. Some of the stuff you brought to that table that he didn't, he didn't lead you there. You went there. Can I, can I look at this? Okay. Uh, this is James 4. James 4, verse 1. Now, y'all know what's in your heart. I know you know what's in your heart. I know you know that you want and like things that maybe you're not supposed to. I know you bought some things you have regret around because now you're having to pay for them. Ha. Huh? Oh, Jesus, help me. Yeah, uh-huh. Maybe just return that item. <laughs> Sorry, here we go. What's the source of your quarrels and conflicts? Is it not your pleasure? It's waging war inside of your members. You lust, now the word lust there, it's not the word for perver perversion, it's this appetite for more. You want more. You lust and you don't have. So in your not getting what you're wanting, you commit murder. Now, you're a good Christian, so I know you ain't out there with an ax. But I bet there are moments when you're not getting what you want, and you're like, oh, that person, they're standing in my way. Can't believe that they would think that. Oh, that's a fool. Look at foolish. They should take advantage of this opportunity I'm giving them. And you want something, and someone is standing in your way, and so you rage. You're envious, and you can't obtain it, so you fight. You try to get it. You don't have because you're not asking. That phrase there is, woo, woo. -hoo. You do not have because you're not asking. God wants to give you everything. That's, he wants to give it to you. He's so on your side. He is so on your side. Your life will be better. I cannot, I guess, tell you, I can't believe I'm living this life. Not because I don't have crap that I've walked through, but because I can't believe he's been this good to us. He's just so kind. You don't have because you don't ask. You don't ask, or excuse me, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motive so that you can spend it on your pleasure. You want what you want. And so you're like, Jesus, please, gimme, gimme, gimme. And he doesn't answer you. <laughs> James says, listen, the reason you don't have is because you're not asking. You're going, and you're saying to me, Pastor James, but I am asking. And, but I'm not getting. And I would say that's because they're not allowing you in the gate. There are gatekeepers, and they're not allowing you in because they can see your heart. 
And your heart wants your pleasures, and it wants to spend it on what you want. And the Lord goes, hey, why don't you become full of thanks for what I already gave you, which will correctly position your heart to be able to come before the king and ask. I want to get happy up in here. This is whew, some joy up here. Uh, I know it's hard. You should laugh about it because it's hard. It's hard. This is John 6. Okay, we got one more story and we'll land this plane. Might be crash landing, but we'll get her done. John 6. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and he sat down with his disciples. It was the Passover, and the Feast of Jews was near. Therefore, Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing a large crowd coming to him, said to Philip, where are you going to go buy bread so these people can eat? That is a brilliant question. Anyone that says that Jesus didn't have a sense of humor doesn't read the Bible. You need to read the Bible with a different point of view, because that, if that isn't sarcasm, I don't know what is. Jesus looks at Philip, one of the analytical disciples, and he goes, hey, how are you going to solve this problem? <laughs> where, where are you going to go? We're out in the middle of nowhere. Where are you going to go buy food for them? He, Jesus just made the problem Philip's. <laughs> Philip says, okay, he said to Philip, where are you going to go buy bread? This he was saying to test him. For he knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread isn't sufficient for them, for even them to receive a little. But one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad over here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these to so many? I love this guy. Love him. Andrew is awesome. There's an Andrew in every crowd. The guy who gives the answer that makes no sense. You love that? You're in a boardroom and some dude just like pops off with an answer and it's not related to anything. Like Jesus asks Philip, hey, go buy some bread. And Andrew goes, I, I, I got a bag lunch. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's much grass in that place, so the men sat down at number about 5,000. Now, before we read this next line, stop and think. Philip was just told by Jesus to think about money. I know that the Holy Spirit does this to people still today. He still tests your hearts because he wants to see what's in there. And so the Holy Spirit will begin to talk to you about money and he'll show you a vision of what is to come and what is supposed to happen. 5,000 people getting filled. And then he'll ask you about your bank account. It was the Lord who asked about money. Why? To test the heart. Not because he was intending to give you millions of dollars. That's not how the kingdom works. Y'all, it's a Christian fantasy. It's a fantasy. Because it's not how God works. God isn't going into other people's bank accounts to take money from them to give to you. That's not what he does. He doesn't need to. He owns the thousand, cattle on a thousand hills. He, 
He is the God who needed tax money, so he told Peter to go cast a line and catch a fish. He had a money bag. He could have just paid the taxes. He goes, hey, oh, yeah, we pay taxes, sure. Peter, go fishing. He goes to cast a line, brings it out. Oh, look at that. There's the money. That, that's your God. Not direct deposit. Not tax refund, not rebates, none of this. This isn't because the Lord asked the question to reveal the heart because he wants faith to see something, not the natural course of how you would solve it. You have an amazing idea for a business. That's fabulous. He's not after the money. He's not after the achievement. He's after something else. Can you see by faith what he's trying to do? He's not trying to make you a millionaire so you can go achieve. That would be, that, that doesn't make any sense. He doesn't do that. Now everybody's depressed. Oh, I was going to go buy a lottery ticket today. Listen. He wants you to see. He's testing Philip's heart. He knew what he was going to do the whole time, and he knows what he's going to do to solve what he's asked you to because he always provides for what he tells you to do. Always. It's us who gets caught up on the numbers. It's us who gets caught up on the bank accounts. It's us who gets caught up on the natural things. He's trying to test your heart. Then Jesus took the loaves, the ones that Andrew brought. The crazy guy in the corner, he's like, good idea. Come here. <laughs> Come here. Yeah, we'll use those. That's great. <laughs> Look at what he says. Then he took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed and there was provision as much as people wanted. Having given thanks. The key to provision is recognizing what you have and give thanks for it. And from that place, the Lord can multiply it and do amazing wonders. You got to let go of the what it should look like. Take a knife to that sucker. Let it go. The Lord's taking you through that. He's stripping things back. He's testing your heart because there's far bigger things. He wants to use you in his kingdom. It's not built by man. It's not built by money. His kingdom is far greater. You have access to it. Anytime you want, you can come before this gate. Anytime you want. Anything you ask in his name, he'll give you. Anything. But you got to come before the gate full of thanks. You alive? All right. Would you guys stand to your feet today? Yay, Jesus. Yay, Jesus. Uh, all right, you ready? This is what we're going to do right now. We're going to do a little activation. That's how we're going to close the day. Okay? Christine, would you jump up on the keys? Thank you so much. What I want you to do right now is just quietly in your heart, just inside, I want you to begin to remember what Jesus has done for you. Start to give thanks. Okay, what did he do? What has he done? Remember, bring back to memory. Start to talk to him about it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for my family. 
my wife, my children. Thank you, God. Thank you for saving me. Come on, has he healed you? Has he delivered you? What has he done for you? Begin to cultivate that. Thank you, Jesus. Just quietly in your heart. Now listen, and as you become full, as it bubbles up in you, see, there's something that's going to happen right now. We're going before the king right now. We're going before his gate. Something is going to shift inside of you, and you're going to become full. Ah, green light. At that point, I want you to begin to open your mouth and give thanks audibly, okay? And it's going to be like popcorn in the room, and we're going to have people sharing and speaking out and giving thanks and praise. If it looks like dance, if it looks like shouting, if it looks like whatever, okay? We're going to give ourselves to this for a little bit here, and then I'm going to bring it to a close, okay? So come on, just begin to thank him. Come on, will you turn those keys up there? Let's just fill the room. Just allow your heart to become full. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let your heart become full. And once it becomes full, then you can uncork it and let it go. Stir it up. Stir it up. Give voice to what's filling you. Give voice to what's filling you. Thank you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your kindness and your goodness in our lives, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your mercies that cover us and set us in a right place, Lord, for your provision and your healing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done in our lives, Lord. We're so grateful. Thank you. Thank you for saving and setting free, Lord, and delivering. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you. It's unlike you, Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, even for that which was costly and painful, we give you thanks today, Lord. Knowing full well, listen, if it's still hard, He's not done yet. He's not done. He's not, your story's not over. Lord, we're so grateful today. Thank you. Thank you for setting us in a right place, Holy Spirit. Now, 
Father in heaven, we come boldly before your gate and we are asking, we are asking you in Jesus' name. Now, what is remaining, what is needed, would you please, come on, just bring voice to it. Just ask him. You're in his presence. Ask him. Lord, thank you. We need you. Lord, I'm asking that you would help, that you would deliver, that you would heal, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we're asking for provision, Lord, resources. We're asking, Father, that you would touch, Lord, a generation separated from you, Lord, that they would come back to know you, Lord. Their hearts would be softened, Jesus. That you would move and you would transform, Lord, and set free, Lord, we're asking you this morning. Come on, what are you asking? We're in the gate. Ask him. He knows what you need, therefore ask, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Father in heaven, this day, you have heard petitions, Lord, and you know. You search the deep things of man's heart. Father, we're asking in Jesus' name. We're giving our yes and amen to each other's petitions, Lord. We're asking on their behalf as well, Lord. Lord, have your way. Come and have your way. God, I thank you for this. Thank you for this. Now, Lord, I bless your people this morning. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's face and countenance be towards you. May he be gracious to you and grant you peace. And everybody who dared to agree with that prayer said, amen. Come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today?